Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. This week's podcast is sponsored by Beds Equals Dreams. Join us for a Build-A-Bed event on September 23rd and 24th to build 60 beds over two days for an elementary school in Lancaster. To sign up, click the link in this episode's description, or you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Shane Page. Oh, Lord, we exalt you. And may your mercies continue to abound for us. Good morning, everyone. Um, I think I got a chance to talk to some of you visiting with us, but if I didn't, I am Pastor Shane. I want to welcome all of you here to, to Harrison Church. I pray that you will be blessed by your time with us today. And, uh, you know, what I want to do, I do this every week, I, I want to catch everybody up on, on what we've been doing here in worship. And we've been doing this sermon series on what I'm calling today sort of the, uh, the preamble to the Christian Constitution. It's like the words that Jesus speaks before he gives the Christians that he was preaching to the constitution of the Christian community, the law of the Christian community. And, and right before he goes into this law, we call the Sermon on the Mount, how the Christians should live together. He gives these sentences. We, we call them the Beatitudes. And, and we've been discussing these Beatitudes of the last few weeks. And they're really sentences about what the citizens of God's republic look like. And Jesus begins this sermon of his by saying, well, they look like the poor in spirit. That's one. Or they look like those who grieve. It's another. Or they look like the meek. Or for those who hunger for God or who hunger for God's ways to infiltrate our world, to, to right the wrongs of the world. And then today, we're going to study the next sentence that Jesus says. He says that the citizens of God's kingdom, of his republic, they look like the merciful. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, what I've done for the last few weeks is that I've tried to find a text that kind of lends support or captures the theme of what Jesus is saying in each of these Beatitudes. And so today I'm going to be reading from you from Matthew's Gospel. It'll be the 18th chapter, beginning with verse 23. Now, I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel. You should find the words here on the screen behind me, but Matthew 18:23. Now, this is a parable Jesus is telling. A story in one of his sermons goes like this. Jesus said, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Circle that if you've got your Bible. We're going to come back to that. 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe me. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Oh, but he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. 
And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And then Jesus ends his sermon with these encouraging words. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I was thinking about this. On the one hand, I think all of us, we're in the church this morning. We're, we're church people. I'm glad that you're here. I think we could get behind the concept of mercy. We can support the idea of mercy. I don't know, though. Would we really find or believe that the merciful way of life is the blessed way of life? I've been thinking about this. I think we, we admire mercy. It's a great trait to admire. I don't know. I just don't know if we would think it to be blessed. I was just thinking, just imagine in a couple of years from now, the next presidential campaign, somebody decides to make their whole political platform about mercy. Here I am. I'm here to give mercy for everyone. I don't think we would get behind that. We don't bless merciful people. We bless hardliners. We bless the tough talkers. That's kind of what we think are blessed now. Kind of reminds me of the motto in the movie. This is a dumb analogy, but you've got to work with me on this. It's like this motto in this movie. Uh, you've seen it before, the Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid. Remember that movie? I saw this movie a couple days ago. It came on pay TV. It has not aged well. It really hasn't. But I remember that scene where the Cobra Kai, you know, the villains of the movie, you know, their motto is, uh, strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. And they say this, strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. That's become our motto. Strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. And yet Jesus in this beatitude, he says that God is on the side of the merciful and that they are blessed. Now, here's something that's really surprising to me about this beatitude, and I'm getting ready to spend the next few minutes preaching about something I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be preaching about today, not even two weeks ago, not even 10 days ago, but I discovered something about this beatitude, and I've got to share this with you. It's a discovery. I did not know this, but here it goes. We've got to talk about this because it's, it's right here. All right, so this beatitude, blessed are the merciful. I did not know this, but the Greek word that Matthew uses, that we translate as merciful, is almost the same word. I mean, it's almost literally the same word, so close in relationship to the word almsgiver. Almsgiver. So in other words, Jesus, you could actually translate this beatitude as, blessed are those who give alms, or blessed are the almsgivers for they shall receive back from God. Now, Jesus, in the very next chapter, we're doing the Beatitudes. This is Matthew 5. In the very next chapter, he uses the same word, and then we do translate that as almsgiver. Jesus says something like this to his, to his disciples, to his followers. He says, now, when you give alms, don't be like the hypocrites and blow a trumpet and draw all this attention to yourself. He says, instead, when you give alms, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what's interesting about that is that Jesus says to his followers, when you give alms, he expects us to do this. 
Now, almsgiving is a word that has fallen kind of out of fashion in the church. Some of you right now might be thinking, like, what is almsgiving? Well, I'm glad you asked, because now I'm going to tell you what this is, because it's in this beatitude here. Okay, so almsgiving is the practice. It's been around for a long time. It's, been a, it's a practice within the church. It's even in Judaism. Uh, of course, it's in Judaism because Jesus was Jewish. Uh, it's the practice of giving money or food to the needy. Now, the needy person could be a neighbor, it could be a beggar, I mean, anyone who is needy. Now, for centuries, the early Christians really emphasized almsgiving during a particular season of the year. Anybody want to guess what season of the year in the church they would emphasize this? Lent. Okay, one person said Lent. All right, so Lent. And so during Lent, for centuries, the early church would encourage Christians, like, if, you go, if you're out there shopping and someone who is needy approaches you and crosses your path, give that person some money or some food. Now, what's changed for us on this side of Christianity is that when someone needy, especially a beggar, uh, crosses us, we, we get the heebie-jeebies. We don't, we don't quite know what to do, uh, or we'll be at a light, you know, somebody will be standing there. I will confess I've done this before. We'll just pretend not to see that person. You know. <laughs> you know. But here's what's interesting, because I had to do some research on this. It sent me down a couple of rabbit holes. In the early church, the idea of someone in need crossing paths with you, paths with you that was considered to be this huge opportunity. And they cited a verse of Scripture to support giving alms, money, or food to the poor. And it comes from Proverbs. I got my Bible today. I'm feeling good. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Here's what, and this is what they used. Here's what the proverb says. Whoever is kind, some of your translations will say whoever gives, Whoever is kind or gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Think about that. Whoever is kind or, or who gives to the poor lends, like offers a loan to the Lord, and that person will be repaid in full. Now, the early church took these words, like, seriously. They took it literally. They believed that by giving money to someone in need, that, that you were actually, God was borrowing money from you. He was taking out a loan from you, and God was going to pay you back. And he wasn't just going to pay you back with the same money you gave. He was going to pay you back with interest. And he wasn't just going to pay you back with a little bit of interest. He was going to pay you back with the interest rate of heaven. And the interest rate of heaven is about a million percent. So you would be a numbskull for not taking this deal. And so it became a practice to give money to the poor. And the people who, uh, who had kind of fallen off the wagon, because that's what Lent's for, you know, if you've kind of fallen off the wagon, you become kind of lax in your faith, it was really considered to be this opportunity to, to reclaim your identity as a Christian. And of course, you know, Jesus says in another place, whatever you did to the least of these, what, how does he com- complete the sentence? You've done to me. So there's this way to do this. Now, Jesus does not talk about, you know, a million percent interest rate. This is a guarantee, guaranteed loan. But he does kind of have this idea in the Beatitude that what you give will give back to you. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But it literally is saying, blessed are those who give alms. Now, I was thinking this week, right now, some of you are entertaining the very question that uh, I'm getting ready to mention. What happens when we come across someone, especially a beggar, 
We don't, what to, don't know what to do. I can't talk today. We don't know what to do, and invariably, at some point, we will ask ourselves the same question. What question will we ask ourselves? We'll say, well, you know, if you give them money, they might just waste the money. Now, I've got to tease you for a minute. I do find it hilarious that on the point of giving to the needy, all of a sudden, we become very serious about our stewardship Stewardship matters. It matters what we do with the Lord's money. We, we get really serious on stewardship when it comes to giving to the poor. We don't think this way in other places, though. <laughs> it reminds me of a sermon preached about 1,700 years ago. And evidently, this sermon was about giving alms. Well, obviously, after the end of this, uh, this man's sermon, there must have been people in his congregation who had trouble with this because in the very next sermon that he preaches, he's preaching back at the people who came to him. And according to what he preached, he said there were some very wealthy people who came to him at the end of the service when he preached about giving to the poor. And these very affluent people said, well, now, well, what, what if they waste the Lord's money? What if they, you know, buy wine with it or something? And then in his next sermon, he just lit into this congregation. And he says this. He says, oh, you, you wealthy people, you who waste the Lord's money on your bath salts and your fancy wine and your fancy clothes and all of your frivolities, you dare lecture the poor about wasting the Lord's money? And I found out that he was exiled from that church about two or three years later. Right? We do this all the time. They're going to waste the Lord's money. Don't we waste the Lord's money? Good grief. I've wasted the Lord's money before. I kind of I kind of like I can't believe I'm preaching on this subject, but it's right here. Pope, Pope Francis, I love what Pope Francis said back in uh, February of this year. Some of you pointed this out to me and I saw it as well. But uh, someone asked Pope Francis Okay, it's Lent, so what do we do about giving to a beggar? Should we worry about what they're going to do with it? And I love Pope Francis' answer. He said, who cares? Who cares what they do with it? Jesus doesn't care what they do with it. He does care whether you give. And see, what we think is giving to the poor, and I don't believe in enabling, you know, but when we give to the poor, it's not about them so much as it is about us. And when we learn to give alms, When we don't worry about the results, what happens to us is that we begin to slowly learn what compassion is. And we slowly begin to learn what mercy is supposed to look like. Because the point that Jesus is trying to make in this beatitude is that mercy, the mercy that Jesus is blessing here is a visible kind of mercy. It's something that you do. It's something that you express in yourself. He's, he's not talking about some kind of inner attitude, this kind of personal disposition, right? He wants it to be more than that, and it's got to be an action. And my question that I've been wrestling with, that I want you to wrestle with, is, is really this one. Like, really, when was the last time you saw mercy in action? Okay, when was the last time you showed mercy to someone and it was active? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time someone showed mercy to you? And I bet you, you got to dig a little deep on that. We don't see a lot of mercy in this world. You know, Anne Lamott, one of my favorite writers, she wrote a book uh, just this year on mercy. 
And one of the things she says in the book, she says, you know, we, we live in such a hard world, and, and yet if you think about your life, it wasn't always this way. When you were born, right, your, your mom or your, your father, for, for the vast majority of us, I mean, they, they just cradled you, and they, they whispered to you, and they caressed you, and they, and they nurtured you. And the, and the world for you in that moment was this safe place. But then as we get older, something happens. And all of a sudden, the world's not a safe place. And you're kind of taught, hey, hey, look out for number one. Don't you dare tolerate any compromise. Draw the firm line. And, and this tenderness that we were born into, that, that we receive from our family, all of a sudden that begins to slowly fade away. And there's no mercy anymore. I, I, will, tell you, I will tell you this. If there's one aspect of our culture right now that I find to be the most troubling, and this is my opinion, the most troubling aspect is, is that we continue to operate on this cycle of hostility. You just can't get away from it. We are constantly reminded by the media. You, I tell you, just go to your own favorite website, especially if it's a news website or an opinion website. We are constantly reminded about who we should hate. Oh, yeah, don't forget, you're supposed to be against those people. Just, just go to visit a website. You will see this. Everybody is constantly blaming everybody else, and it's become our energizing factor. Like, oh, yes, that's right. I almost forgot. I'm supposed to despise those people. Those are the people who are the ruin of America. They're the ruin of the church. And this cycle of hostility keeps going. And yet Jesus Christ, by preaching, blessed are the merciful, God does not bless our hostility. We live in a culture of hostility, back and forth. Blame them. And yet what, what God has really called us to be is, is to, can, can we at least develop a culture of mercy? And we need that. We don't see that anywhere. I was thinking this week, you know, if, if you want to think about the, the simple path to mercy, you know what I think the simple path, this is easy, you don't need a bunch of steps. I think the simple path to mercy is simply self-awareness. Is when you realize and look within yourself, there are all kinds of shadows in your soul. There are all kinds of demons that work in your soul. You got some impulses in your soul. Merciful people are really self aware people. We're not self aware. We think we are self aware. This takes practice. We got too many blind spots in our lives, but the merciful people. Have, have become self-aware. It kind of goes back to what Jesus has said in his second beatitude, and we talked about this when he says, blessed are those who mourn, and, and, and for centuries the church understood those words to mean blessed are those who mourn over their sins. So if you mourn over your sins, you realize them, and you realize that there is, there is evil in you. There are dark impulses in you, and yet God has shown you so mercy, and so you are quick to be kind and patient to someone else in their sins. You just become more and more self-aware. Now, the, the man in that parable that we just heard, that uplifting, inspirational parable, if you think about that man who was forgiven all that debt and then didn't forgive the next person, he had no self-awareness whatsoever. I mean, this man was forgiven by the king ten thousand 
talents. That is an absurd amount of money. If we were living in Jesus' time and heard that parable, we would have burst out in laughter. 10,000 talents would be like me forgiving you the equivalent of the national debt. It's a ridiculous amount of money. It's laughable. And yet that man's forgiven the national debt worth of money, and yet he goes out and comes across somebody who owes him a couple hundred bucks, grabs him by the throat, says, pay me back. This is a parable about the unself-aware. And we do this. You know, we come into the house of the Lord. We pray to God. You know, oh, God, hear my sins. Have mercy on me. And we expect grace. Well, we expect it. We expect God to forgive us. That's God's job. He's just going to forgive me. But then when it comes to other people who have sinned, we, we, we just demand justice. Merciful people, though. They never forget just how much God has forgiven them. I mean, a merciful person would come into a space like this and they wouldn't feel worthy to be here. They know that there's too much darkness in their soul. They're they're struggling with too many things, but they also are so confident that God loves them so much and God has given them so much mercy. How How can they possibly not show mercy to another people. I'm going to tell you, if you want to get on the wrong side of God, just come in here, take all the grace, and don't show any mercy to anybody else. You can get on the wrong side of God that way. You know, the zinger, really, of this parable, and really the zinger of the beatitude, blessed are those who are merciful, who give alms, concrete expressions, (laughs) The zinger is that there seems to be, what I mentioned earlier, this this exchange going on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I was trying to think of a word. I mean, it's like a, a, there's a relationship here. It's, It's like almost a transaction. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's as Jesus is saying, you know, if you are mercy, you shall receive mercy. Now, this is all over the New Testament. Some of you know the Lord's Prayer, and that that line in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Forgive us of our trespasses. How do we complete it? As we forgive those who trespass against us. And we're saying, oh Lord, forgive us just to the extent that we forgive someone else. Or Jesus will say in another place, he'll say, whatever you measure will be measured back to you. And what what gets me about this parable is that the unmerciful servant got, in the end, exactly what he demanded. He told the man who owed him a couple hundred dollars, throw him in prison, torture him, take away his family. And then the king says to him in the end, for his hardness of heart, what? Throw him in the prison kind of begs the question, who in the end will really judge us? It may very well be the case that at the end of our lives, it will not be God's standards that will judge us. God may judge us according to our standards. 
It might be the case, just work with me on this, that at the end of our lives, God will throw at us the same book that we have thrown at others. And it is the merciful who will receive mercy. You know, Pope Francis, to quote him again, I love what he said some time ago. He says, you know, you and I, we get so sick and tired of asking God to forgive us. But God never gets tired of forgiving us. I pray that we will never get tired of mercy because the souls we save might very well be our own. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Let us pray. Well, Lord, mercy, we don't see it all that often, but you bless the merciful. And if we search our own lives and become aware of our own lives, we know, we know that we have done so many things to make us unworthy to be in a place like this. And we cry out for mercy, and you do not ever get tired of saying, I forgive you. Lord, I pray that we will be a people of mercy in a culture of hostility. Let us not be quick to blame. Let us be quick to surrender, to open up a space for hope and for healing. Help us, O oh Jesus to extend the mercy we hope and we pray we will receive. And it's in your Son's precious and merciful name that we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on classes, upcoming events, or how to get involved, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.